Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, February 8th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We'll give you a few quick thoughts from us on Super Bowl 55 last night, but primarily focused on college basketball here on today's show. Got some injury notes, some regression candidates, fade and follow teams, and a whole bunch of games here coming up for this week on the college basketball hardwood. So very much looking forward to this show. And going forward, will be a lot of college basketball on ATS Radio, to say the least. So definitely looking forward to all of that. Conference tournament's not that far away, about a month and a week away from March Madness. So lots of ground to cover on the college hoop side. And we'll start by doing that here on today's show. Over at ATS.io, lots of great content coming your way. I'll have a preview up uh, for this week's golf tournament at Pebble Beach. We've got my NBA and NHL situational betting articles. And of course, we're covering game previews throughout college basketball, the NBA and the NHL. We'll have some future stuff for you for the Super Bowl 56, all that kind of thing. And of course, I'm hoping to be about three and a half-ish weeks away here from releasing the 2021 MLB betting guide, writing first drafts of my team previews right now, then going through the editing process and all of that. So should be about three weeks and three days or so until I'm hoping to get that guide out to everybody, get that out around the time that spring training games start with a little more than a month to prepare for the 2021 MLB season. Lastly, download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen. The chance to buy a subscription to the premium model. There's a stats database in there as well. Lots of great stuff in that ATS app. Make sure you download that today. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well, man. Uh, you know, that wasn't too exciting of a Super Bowl there last night, was it? No. No, that game, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many people I texted last night during the game. This game effing sucks. I mean, it just, it was, it was not good. And the ironic thing about it is I think that's what Tampa Bay wanted. You know, they didn't want an arms race with Kansas City. They wanted a bad kind of game like that, and they succeeded. You know, they blitzed the hell out of Patrick Mahomes. They got a lot of pressure with the front four on Patrick Mahomes. Didn't send a ton of free rushers for the most part in that game. But uh, I'll tell you what, the stat line doesn't show it, but I was actually really impressed with Mahomes last night uh, just by the simple fact that he was able to finish the game without, you know, getting killed. Yeah, I, I will say that Mahomes, uh, the people who are grading him negatively from last night, the last night was not on him. You know, that was all about everybody around him. The offensive line was giving him no time, and they dropped a ton of passes. I mean, some of those passes that he threw where he's, you know, diving sideways and jumping, they were good passes, and they should have been caught. Uh, Mahomes is a really good player, and I don't, I don't think anything less of him based on last night. I think really the most impressive performance last night was, you know, Todd Bowles' defense. That that defense was really good. They were really ready to play. Um, you know, there were multiple guys who played extremely well. In fact, uh, I mean, you could have argued that last night would have been a good night for a defensive player to get the MVP. I know that you know brady was probably always going to get it if they won but you know that defense was so good and then obviously you know gronk kind of turned back the clock and had a had a really nice performance and i think my wife's going to be talking to me for a few weeks about how good of a call that was from her to take uh, gronk anytime touchdown and she i, I think she thinks she's a um, a sharp now for for props in the nfl market 
Well, she did better on props than I did in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we had a few winners from the show last week. Certainly, uh, you know, Brian Blessing talked about Chiefs as a team rushing yards over. That one came through. I talked later in the week on the show about Brady to win the MVP because, look, exactly what we thought would happen played out last night. If Tampa Bay won the game, Brady would be the MVP, you know, and probably didn't deserve it. I think Devin White deserved it or just Tampa Bay's defense as a whole. But, you know, it's an easy narrative to cling to. 80% of the vote from writers – it's very easy to write about Tom Brady winning his fifth MVP, seventh Super Bowl, so on and so forth. So that's something we'll have to revisit in future Super Bowls, where if you like the dog and the dog quarterback to win MVP is a better price, it's almost an auto take, I would say at this point in time. No receptions for Ronald Jones. That was a good one. He did go over his rushing yards for you. I know that was one that you were on. Uh, Brait was under as well, from what I remember, I think, with his receiving yards. Is that correct? Um. I don't, I don't know offhand of you. Oh, Cam Bright. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought you said right for a minute. I was, uh, I'm like, who is right? <laughs> I'm sitting over here trying to figure out who right is. Yeah. Cam Bright stayed under. That was very close though. I was really nervous about that one, but uh, yeah, I think three catches, 26 yards or something. So the, the lowest number was 27 and a half. Um, white, um, probably should have been the MVP and that would have been a really nice uh what 40 to one or something like that for people who took the him to win the MVP but you know it is the what it is and and I, I think that uh did Brady I, I think Brady had what how many pass attempts 29 or 20 it was yeah, something it was like that. way under his projected um you know the game script did play out the way Tampa Bay wanted it to right they had the uh uh, the run game going, both Fournette and Jones were very successful. Um, the Kansas City defense couldn't do much about that. And then you just mix in passes. And obviously, Brady made great decisions. You know, we expect that from him. And and you have to give props to a guy that's 43 years old and has played that many Super Bowls and is still that good. You know, um, we're not going to see that very often, that's for sure. Definitely the GOAT at this point. Well, and, you know, what was tough for me, and, and we talk about not putting all of your eggs in one basket, and I didn't. You know, I mean, I kind of spread some props around in some different ways and, and stuff like that, but this was the only outcome I did not see coming. I did not see Tampa Bay winning this game in blowout fashion. So, you know, I lost a prop like over four and a half Chiefs with a rushing attempt because they had to completely abandon the run in this game. They only ran the ball 17 times against 49 pass attempts, and – they had three guys with a carry in the first like six minutes of the game. And then, you know, they, they wind up not using Hardman or Watkins or anybody like that in the running game. So that wound up being, you know, one that I lost because this game didn't play out the way that I expected it to. I liked Kansas city. I thought Kansas city would win comfortably, but Tampa Bay adjusted, you know, Andy Reid got out coached Eric B got out coached and maybe it was just the circumstance of that offensive line, but Todd Bowles, took everything from the first game and said, we're not doing any of it. You know, they went to high safety. They made sure they had four guys on the same side of the field as Kelsey and Hill. The chiefs never really separated those guys enough. They got pressure on Mahomes from the outside. They got pressure from the inside. They got it from everywhere. They wanted to look, the Buccaneers played really, really well in this game. They had a great game plan. They executed it. Well, sometimes you're just dead wrong on a game and it sucks when it's the super bowl and you're dead wrong, but you know, that's just kind of how this one played out. And I think it will be interesting going forward to see what happens with narratives coming out of this game. Because I heard, you know, some people kind of talking about 
you know, look, we always get this type of matchup in the Super Bowl where the offensive high-flying team comes in and puts up a dud against the better defensive team, who in this case, of course, was Tampa Bay. The same people saying that are ignoring the fact that last year, Kansas City won and covered against the better defensive team in the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know, a lot of people have short memories about what happens in these things. The Chiefs may very well be right back in this situation again next year. So, you know, we'll see if we can take anything away from this Super Bowl and apply it to future ones. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And I think are, are the Chiefs favored for next year already? I believe that's the case. And then uh, Tampa Bay is getting bet. I know that the line has come down on Tampa Bay for next year, but I believe the Chiefs are favored. And I think that makes sense. You know, uh, that was a bad performance from them, but the Chiefs are going to be good for a long time. You know, they're going to they're going to have a chance again. I, I agree with you, too. If you say, you know, defense, the better defense is always going to win. We've seen plenty of cases where that's not that's not the case. And, and the NFL today is more about offense than it was years ago. Um, so be careful about making too wide of a uh, assumption there on something like that. I mean, who beats Kansas City next year in the AFC? I, to me, it's either Buffalo or Cleveland and that's it. I, and, and I mean, obviously Cleveland needs to spend a lot of money on the defense and, and draft really well here. Buffalo, you know, I don't know if they're quite on that level yet. I guess we'll kind of find out, but Baltimore, yeah, uh, yeah I, you don't I, think they can do it in the playoffs. I don't trust Lamar Jackson enough yeah. as a passer. I just, I mean, I, I know Harbaugh is a great head coach, but like right. Tennessee's got the offense, but they don't have the defense. Right. You know, I, I guess that's that's kind of it to me. Like, if you want to shy away from Kansas City, and I know that we still have the draft and we still have free agency and, you know, the, the few trades that happen in the NFL, it's Buffalo or Cleveland. And and Cleveland, maybe this is the homer in me talking. I think the offense is good enough. I think Stefanski is good enough. If they fix the defense, they should win the AFC North, you know? So, I mean, they're at least a team that's kind of got the chance to play with Kansas City, I think. But the list is short. Yeah, I agree. The list is definitely short. I mean, if you look at the NFC, there's tons of teams that could get there. Right. Uh, you look at the AFC, it's kind of hard to come up with them. And I don't even really have a chance to be a homer here because, you know, I'm the Bengals <laughs> fan. So what am I supposed to say? Right. Um, no, but I agree. The Browns have an high, a high upside. I do kind of wonder still if Baker Mayfield is the guy to take a team to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. I mean, he played better at the end of the year, but I will say the Browns have a great running game, great offensive line. That's really powerful. So the Chiefs um, do not have very many teams in their way. I think that's fair, fair to say, certainly. Yeah, I think so, too. And of course, there'll be plenty of time to talk about that looking ahead to Super Bowl 56 and uh, you know, looking ahead to the next NFL season, which hopefully uh, looks a lot different than this past one in the sense that, you know, hopefully we get. 75 80,000 screaming people at games again and and you know all of that and you know that was something that that was kind of talked about a little bit over the weekend between I don't know if you saw it but the uh, the highlight and I was watching it actually live of uh, Brooks Kepka bouncing in that eagle uh, on 17 that wound up you know winning him uh, the waste management Phoenix Open there were only 2500 or so people there but there was a roar you know, there was a roar in that moment and there were some roars last night during the Super Bowl and you know, it's just it, it just it feels different when there's that atmosphere and you can hear that crowd and all that. Uh, I, I just hope that, you know, the ex, the next NFL season uh, looks and sounds a lot different than this past one. Yeah, certainly. It's it's nice to hear the fans again. And even even in a smaller sample, like you said, when there's uh, 
that amount of people when something really exciting happens and you start hearing fans again it it certainly helps the the event you know it helps the excitement it helps as a viewer it helps as somebody who's there it's a lot more exciting and i, I know it would have to help the players you know they'd, they'd have to be very strange without that well we'll see we'll see what happens here as the year goes along but with college basketball you know, we're still dealing with the same stuff, you know, no fans really, unless you're, you know, kind of buried down there in some of those Southern States where they are allowing people to go to games, still dealing with COVID pauses and and plenty of those here, South Florida, they come back this week on Wednesday, Long Beach state. They're supposed to be back on Friday. Richmond's supposed to be back on Wednesday. I just saw Niagara is on a COVID pause now. So Iona who hasn't played since like what late December, you know, they have more games canceled. Uh, it's just kind of the way of the world right now in college basketball still. Yeah, I, I was going to say Iona myself too. And I, I have a feeling that when Iona comes back, everybody's going to bet against Iona in that first game. So if you like uh, to fade the COVID pause teams, which in general I do, uh, you better be fast on that one because everybody's going to know about something where it's been like two months when they played. So um, I I do still think that from the samples we've been seeing that it's almost impossible to bet on a team in the first game off their COVID pause. And if you can take a team uh, who's an underdog going against a good team coming off that COVID pause, you almost have to do it. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? You know, a team like St. Louis where, you know, they're a good team. And for the first couple of games off that uh, COVID pause, they did not look good at all. You know, it takes some time to get back to it. Um, You know, I, I think that that will continue to be the case. The market is starting to price that in. Um, you know, I think people modeling uh, games are now realizing that, you know, prices are off and it's moving quickly. You know, we saw a line like the NC State and Boston College went from this past weekend. That was one of my wins from this past Saturday. Again, some bad beats on Saturday and disappointing, but uh, NC State rolled Boston College in that game. The line opened at minus one and a half. Um, I don't know, was it minus four and a half or five or something like that at some point? And then at one point, I think NC State went on a 30-something to three run in that game, and and Boston College had no chance. I mean, you know, some of these teams really want to play, but they're extremely shorthanded. Um, it's hard to not fade them, but, you know, you wonder when the price is going to get out of hand. So, you know, the COVID pause thing still very much in play, still something you absolutely want to file away in the back of your mind. And, of course, you know, it can be tough to keep up with all of them because there are so many uh, but I think Rothstein, John Rothstein, actually tweets all the teams that are on a COVID pause pretty much every day. So, you know, kind of keep an eye on those. Look at the schedule. See when they're coming back because, you know, the market moves it, but the odds makers really aren't doing too much to adjust it at the outset. So you know, it seems like it's definitely not being priced in accurately enough. Yeah, from the beginning, it's not priced in enough. If you're waiting to bet right before the game, it probably is. So, you know, th- this is something that we talk about. Sometimes you have to be quick. On these, you want to be quick. And and there are a lot of teams on COVID pauses right now, as you said. And these teams that have been on a break for a month or more, something like that, you know, it's. I think it's a pretty big difference from a team that's just missed two weeks. You know, a month is a long time. And if you've had a coach or a lot of players that have had COVID during that time, you may have gone a month and practiced two or three times. Uh, that's a big negative for a team. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, again, it, it's just just the way that things are here, you know, with these 2020, 2021 seasons. So make sure you're keeping an eye on those COVID pause situations there. But as far as injuries, you know, unrelated to COVID, at least for now, um, that we know of anyway, there are a couple of key injuries that you wanted to mention here at the top of today's show. 
Yeah, C.J. Frederick uh, for Iowa, that offense is a lot more efficient with him on the floor than with without him. I've seen some of the stats. I wish I had it in front of me right now, but I think they're about a tenth of a point better uh, efficiency-wise points per possession with him than without, and, and that's a big difference. Uh, Frederick is a good passer. He opens things up. I think Garza is getting a lot of attention right now, you know, um, with less options for the Iowa offense and, you know, Garza has to work really hard all the time. But the other thing is, and, you know, I, I didn't really put this in my notes and I wasn't planning on saying it, but Iowa, Fran McCaffrey, um, not one of my favorite coaches to be, to be fair. You know, I'm, I have nothing against Iowa. I like them as a football team. I, I don't like Fran McCaffrey very much. But the other thing that he does that is really frustrating for betters is if somebody gets a second foul, they're sitting out a long time, no matter what, you know, just no matter what Garza will sit for forever when the game script has changed in a big way. And it's like, you know, I mean, do we have to sit till after halftime, regardless of what the score is or regardless of how bad you're getting beat? Uh, it seems like McCaffrey is one of those guys that, you know, he's very uh, strict in how he's going to play somebody with two fouls. And uh, that can be hard, you know, especially when you have one player that's so dominant. So it does kind of make you wonder in the future if I was going to be really that good because, you know, Garza is almost gone. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that Iowa will stay nearly as strong as they have been. So just kind of a future thought. And, and it's a reason that I would be cautious laying too many points with Iowa because if he's going to sit their best player for a long time, anytime he gets two fouls, it's kind of hard to lay a bunch of points. That's a good live betting angle, though. That's an excellent True. live betting angle. I mean, I know that Iowa, you know, has this great offense, and they've still played some high scores, you know, in spite of foul trouble here and there. But that may be, you know, a very strong live betting angle. If you're following along with the game, Garza picks up his second, you know, pretty early in the first half, something like that. Like you said, he's not playing for a while. So, you know, there are a lot of different live betting options out there, not just, you know, side and total. There's some prop stuff you can play and, and things like that. You know, next team to 30 points or whatever. You know, maybe that's something you could take a look at, maybe uh, scrape some easy winners that way. Yeah, and I just looked as we were talking at, at Ken Palm to see what two-foul participation ranking um, Iowa has. They're 340th in the country. And, and there's about um, 345 teams. I was playing. just going to say, what is it? 345, 346, something like that that are playing. So basically they don't play if they have two fouls in the first half. And it is something that, like, like you said, I think that is the best angle is to, if you see a really good player, even a, you know, Bo, Bo gets um, in foul trouble. He's their really good guy from the outside. Uh, Garza gets in foul trouble. It's a big live betting angle. And you know that the, those odds aren't being adjusted enough. No, that's a really good point there. How about another injury here as we go uh, down to the fun belt conference that we like to talk about a lot here in our segments? Yeah, um, Noel or Noel for Little Rock, uh, Marquise Noel. Um, Little Rock, he left the game on Friday. I was reading some really interesting reports. I, I don't know that anybody really knows why he wasn't playing. I read that in one of the games he was sitting in the stands. So I, I don't really know what that means, but um, probably the most important player for Little Rock's team um really key to this team succeeding last year but it's been far less efficient this year a guy that um can create for himself or everyone else but little rock was the favorite in the sun belt and they have not really played like a favorite in the sun belt so i kind of wonder if there might be some team chemistry issues going on at little rock so i think that's one to follow Ooh, that is a good one to follow especially because you know in the sun belt there are some decent teams down there 
it's it's a pretty quality mid-major conference to where you know if you lose a player of that magnitude there are teams down there that can take advantage yeah absolutely i mean the sun belt i think sun belt in basketball is quite a bit better than it is in football and and we love talking about the sun belt in football too there's good betting angles to be had but there are some pretty quality teams in the sun belt this is not a bottom of the the line division and like you said um, we have a decent amount of teams who are capable of winning that conference. And if you lose a guy like this, you know, it's going to hurt them quite a bit. I think the market has adjusted quite a bit on Little Rock, you know, because I've, I've kind of followed the way that the line has been moving in their games recently. And I think people are kind of onto this one, but uh, I think unders might be a good way to look at Little Rock. I actually played the Little Rock and Texas State under the other day and lost because of overtime, you know. So uh, typical, but uh, I do think that Little Rock offensively is pretty challenged at this point. They're a little better defensively than they were last year. There are some teams in the Sun Belt that are playing pretty slow this year too. So there have been some pretty low-scoring games. So I, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Now, you had a listener reach out on Twitter and ask you about underdogs because it seems like underdogs have been doing pretty well here of late. Is that the case? Yeah, underdogs were 135 and 102, 57% last week. Basically, he asked, you know, if, if I thought there was any real rhyme or reason for that. Um, we had a lot of days this past week where big underdogs won outright. You know, we saw LaSalle beat St. Louis, Washington State beat um, Oregon, uh, games like that where you know, double digit dogs won outright. Um, I don't think there's any real reason to that other than some of those teams were the teams that those two specifically were teams coming off a COVID pause. So if you're taking an underdog uh, against a team that's coming off a COVID pause, I would definitely put something on the money line as well, because there can be some really strange results in games like that. But we've seen this, Adam, you know, year to year, 57% in one week. Um, it's kind of normal to have something like that happen, you know. But for the year, favorites are 50.2%, underdogs are 49.8%. Um, I would be careful, too, about just thinking underdogs would do great here the rest of the year because, I mean, aren't we getting pretty close to that time where some of these teams are not going to care? I mean, you know, um, and in a COVID season, you could argue that that might even happen sooner than normal. Well, yeah, and I think something that's going to be really interesting is, you know, we've seen articles about this, but we haven't really seen anything all that well-defined in terms of what happens with conference tournaments. You know, we've seen that some conferences are like, well, you know, maybe we should just kind of shrink our conference tournament and just kind of make sure that, you know, we're limiting travel, but also giving, you know, one of our top teams a better chance at, you know, not having COVID, not having to play a bunch of games in X number of days, you know, kind of make a smaller conference tournament so that maybe they only have to win twice to get to the NCAA tournament instead of winning three or four games because everybody's there. Some conferences talking about just sending the regular season champion. I know in the Atlantic Sun, I just read that they've moved the conference tournament down exclusively to Florida where it'll be played at North Florida and then also on Jacksonville's campus. So we're also seeing that. We're seeing you know, a lot of questions here where these teams are just kind of going blind into these last few regular season games and then into the conference tournaments next month where it would be nice if they provided some kind of clarity for these schools. Yeah, it would because, um, you know, if they just kind of make up the rules as they go, then you don't know what you're aiming for. You know, what if, what if they just decide that the top eight teams in a conference are going to make the conference tournament? I mean, if you're the ninth team, you'd like to know that before the end of the season, right? Because then you, you've got to win those last couple games. But um, 
I think that there will be a lot more of those double buys. You know, we, we talk about those double buys in the conference tournament and I think, what has it been? Uh, the Mac usually gives some double buys, um, trying to think oh, of the OVC OVC. Yeah. Belmont OS. Yeah. Belmont or Murray state. I think there'll be more of those. And I think it'll be interesting when we start talking about conference tournaments, uh, you know, how that'll be so much different. And also I really hope that there's quite a few odds to talk about because I think the, the odds makers might be a little bit nervous about putting out too many lines with things being so different, but hopefully we'll have some that we can talk about. Um, as far as the underdogs, I would say, you know, 57% for a week. I don't, I don't think there's any real reason for that. Um, and going forward, 50-50, you know, I, I don't see any reason to just blindly bet underdogs or blindly bet favorites. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm trying to see if there are any dates for this and when they're actually going to start. Uh, the Big South starts March 2nd, it looks there like. OVC starts March 3rd. I think I saw the A-Sun starts March 3rd as well. So, there we go. We're, we're less than a month away from some of those conference tournament shows that we love to do here uh, previously on Bang the Book Radio, of course, now on ATS Radio. So, you know, 57% for underdogs last week, 135 and 102. Probably a pretty good segue here, I would say, into taking a look at some regression candidates because that number will regress. It'll probably, you know, gradually move back down towards 50% for the underdogs like it has been for the season as a whole here. I'll let you start. And let's let's flip the script here. Let's go positive first, negative second here. We'll start with the glass half full instead of half empty. And a team that I talked about, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, but the St. Peter's Peacocks getting another mention here on the show. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember Adam talking about them. I don't remember, were they a regression team for you as well or a follow team? I, I can't remember exactly what they were, but you were saying, I think you were saying something positive about them. So I'm going to, I'm going to follow up and say the same thing. Um, St. Peter's to me is a team that um, they're second to last in the country in near proximity shooting percentage, according, according to Haslam metrics, they're shooting 41.8% from two point range. And in the conference, this is not a conference with a lot of, you know, great shot blockers or anything like that. St. Peter's is going to shoot better than that. This is not a good offensive team, uh, but very well coached team. I believe they're a good defense. The offense won't be this bad going forward. I think St. Peter's, could have been a follow team as well. I think that they, they make sense as a follow team. Um, maybe you bet some overs with them. Gosh, it's hard to do. You know what I mean? Betting an over with St. Peter's, you better get a low number because it's going to be a slow tempo. But uh, St. Peter's offense is not really this bad. I mean, they can't shoot, keep shooting 41.8% from two-point range in the conference. No, yeah, I talked about them last week as a positive regression team. So back-to-back weeks here where we're talking about St. Peter's and you know, some abilities here for the Peacocks. And I'm trying to look as we're talking here. Torvik's got them listed as playing Iona on Wednesday, but I don't know if that's going to be happening. And, and that's part of the problem too. You know, a lot of these places that you get some of this stuff from, uh, they're not updating, you know, the schedules or, or anything like that because we've had so many games taken off the board due to COVID pauses. Uh, Iona is February 19th. Uh, St. Peter's in action again here on the 13th coming up on Saturday against Fairfield, playing back-to-back games against Fairfield. So St. Peter's not only a positive regression candidate, but I think maybe with Fairfield and then possibly Iona, uh, maybe a follow team too. Yeah, um, it looks like they play that back-to-back this Friday and Saturday here against Fairfield. And, 
And uh, Fairfield, not a very good team. So you are going to be laying quite a few points in a game like that. But it wouldn't be surprising to see them win by quite a bit there. Um, you know, this is a really good defensive team. There's really one team in that conference that has a bunch of shot blockers, and it is St. Peter's. So, uh, you know, St. Peter's should be really good on defense. Uh, their offense should improve. So, yeah, um, as I was typing that one up, I remembered that you had said something about them. But I f- felt like they were strong enough that maybe we could go ahead and talk about them again. Sounds good to me. I mean, you know, the MAAC is kind of a forgotten conference this year, too, because of all the COVID pauses and all that. So, you know, I think St. Peter is definitely a good team to key in on. I'll key in on another name team here, and that's William and Mary. You know, Bill and Mary, I think a team that's in line for some positive regression here. 47.5% of their shots are close twos, as defined by Bart Torvik, only shooting 54.2% on those. They are 12th on Haslam metrics in mid-range attempt percentage, which I know is a stat that you look at quite a bit, one that we've talked about a little bit here on the show, that would be percentage of mid-range jump shot attempts against an average Division One opponent. They're only shooting 48% on twos, but they don't take a lot of those long twos. They're taking a lot of close two-point shots, just not really cashing in on them. They're not that tall of a team, but I do think that they are a team that, from a shot selection standpoint, should get a little bit better. Now they are coming off of a little bit of a COVID pause themselves. I'm not sure if it's them or if they had games canceled against teams they were supposed to be playing. But as we go forward here, William and Mary, because of their shot selection should definitely get better offensively. Yeah, I would think so too. I obviously that first game could be tricky and um, they play Elon coming up. It appears in their next game, but it looks like that's a little ways off too. So um it's kind of this, like you said, things are kind of adjusting on the, on the, uh, as we go minute by minute. But, um, I, I think that this team, I mean, height wise, they're really not that short, you know, they're, they're an inexperienced team. Um, they've usually been good offensively and I would expect them to be better offensively the rest of the way. I think overs could be a good way to look at William and Mary some too. I wouldn't want to play the over in their first game back. Cause I, I tend to think that'd be better for unders off a long, long break, but um, I think going forward, their offense will improve. All right. A couple of positive regression candidates there in St. Peter's and then William and Mary. What about the negative side, man? Let's uh, let's drink half the glass and leave it half empty here. Uh, who's the negative regression candidate for you? East Carolina on offense. So I looked at this one pretty closely last night. Um, they're shooting 43.8% on far twos, according to Bart Torvik. Now, why would it make any sense that this team would be really good at long twos? They're, they're really bad at threes. So you would think that they wouldn't shoot a really high percentage on these long twos and it wouldn't be a very good shot. You know, if you don't, if you don't have very many good shooters on your team, but you're taking a lot of long twos, um, they're shooting way too many of those long twos, which are low percentage shots. They've made them pretty well so far this year. I don't see any reason why they would continue to make them at this high of a rate. And, uh, you know, unders maybe with East Carolina going forward. I, I think there'll be some sloppy games with them because they're not too bad defensively. I think it's either a under or a fade situation. And, of course, East Carolina, a team that had, you know, some significant COVID issues here uh, earlier on in the year where they were – they had games where they played with, like, what, six or seven guys, eight guys maybe maximum. So East Carolina, a team that, you know, has kind of already been through a lot here this season and regression likely coming there, as you mentioned, uh, you know, with some of those opportunities for them. Also, also, sorry, the, the market probably likes them quite a bit now since they just beat Houston. So, I mean, oh, yeah, that's one right. of those, that's one of those spots where maybe regression and um, looking to fade a team, maybe we find some more value there. 
a team in action here this afternoon. And in fact, oddly enough, they've taken money. The high point Panthers, they've taken money today against Hampton. That line up from one and a half to three and a half out there in the marketplace. But I'm looking at high point as a negative regression team here a little bit. They've taken almost as many far twos, 260, as they have close twos, 289. And they're shooting 41% on those far twos. So again, as I've been talking about here, and when you think about this from an analytics standpoint, and you look at what NBA teams are doing, you look at what San Francisco is doing in college basketball, for example, you're trying to get everything at the rim and everything from three. Because those long two-point shots, they're minus EV shots. You're just not going to get a good return on investment, a good expected value on those shots, which is a point that Kyle and I are both trying to drive home here with some of these positive and negative regression teams. High point, look, they're well-coached. They're coached by former Kentucky headman Tubby Smith, but they take a lot of these long two-point shots, and they don't get a lot of chances at the rim. So to me, that's an unsustainable offensive profile. Their opponents are not shooting well from the free throw line. That should positively regress here. I don't know if maybe they regress against Charleston Southern coming up on the 11th and 12th, but they do face Winthrop at home on the 18th and 19th. I think that's a pretty good sell spot for high point. So I think high point is a negative regression candidate for me. I love this one. I think this is a great one. Um, You know, high point, their their rim and three rate, as some people like to call it, you know, NBA, there's a lot of stats for something like this. Their rim and three rate would be one of the lowest in the country because if you if you look at where they're taking shots from, it's not one of those analytically you know, wise things to do. And uh, high points pretty good defensively this year. They're better than they were last year, but I think their offense will regress. And like you said, I, I'm honestly, I'm surprised that they're taking so much money here today against Hampton. I didn't bet anything in that game. I had the under yesterday in that game. That one did win. Uh, Hampton was off a of COVID pause in that game. And I think I would be careful too, um, not to hijack your point here, but I would be careful um, trying to read too much into a win like that where a team was coming off a of COVID pause. So do we really want to just, you know, fire away on high point just because they want a game like that? Probably said more about Hampton and how they played in that game than anything else. But um, I think uh, high point is a good regression candidate and probably also would have been a good one to fit into the the fade section here. Now, I don't want to open any wounds here, but I, I do want to talk about this for a second where the results haven't been there, but the closing line value has. So you've been beating the market, just not getting the results. A lot of close losses, unders going to overtime, the usual bullshit you wind up dealing with during a college basketball season, just with a much higher frequency for you. But we've talked a lot about these shot selection, you know, thoughts, theories, philosophies, whatever you want to call it. And I would suggest that you've done really well getting closing line value because these are things that really aren't incorporated into the market a whole lot. Now, again, the results haven't been there, but as we know, the best indicator of future success is beating the market. So do you feel like maybe this is, is kind of a you know contributing factor as to the closing line value that you've gotten so far this year? Yeah, I do. I think also, you know, the the COVID pauses have been part of it because the sides that I take have moved a lot more than the sides that I've taken in the past because, you know, I'm taking uh, fading teams off that COVID pause. Um, but in general, most people aren't paying attention too much yet to the shot selection. But I, mean, is I think it, is it factored into a total really at all? I don't think it is. No, I don't think it is. Uh, but I think that if we talk about this in a year or two, it's going to be factored in more than it is now. You know, I think this is going to be something that more people start talking about 
Um, it's kind of disappointing for me. And thanks for opening the wound. No, I mean, sorry, sorry. no, I mean, I open it every single night myself trying to figure out, you know, what's going on, uh, being frustrated, but you know, really what it is, is I think that, uh, you know, it's a sign of future success is likely to come. And, you know, it does encourage me to keep realizing that, you know, it, it can't happen like this forever. It's not going to keep going, but sure feels like it has. Um, but I think that these types of things are ways to get that extra edge. And we know that in these marketplaces, even college basketball, um, I remember years ago, um, before Ken Palm was, you know, setting the market and stuff like that, um, it was a lot easier to beat college basketball totals than it is now, because now that's what where they put the line, obviously, and everybody has access to stuff like this. But I, I've would think that in a couple of years, everybody's going to be talking about, you know, uh, this team's shooting too many mid-range shots. This team's taking a lot of good shots, you know, three-point and at the rim. Uh, so I do think that it has contributed to me getting more closing line value. Um, it hasn't shown up in the results yet, but, uh, you know, fingers crossed that it improves the rest of the way. Well, I just think of it from a sabermetric standpoint, you know, because I'm such a big baseball guy where, you know, the things that I could use to get an edge and, and get some line value in the marketplace three or four years ago, now everybody's doing it. And it's it's already, you know, it's not factored into the opener, but by the morning, you know, when I start writing my daily article or something like that, the prices have moved based on, you know, a lot of those metrics-based factors. And yeah, I do think the college basketball market gets to that point here in the next year or two. And so, you know, it's good that you're doing it now. You're ahead of the curve. You're ahead of the market you know, uh, you should get rewarded for that, you know, to give the gambling gods a nice big one of these. But, you know, it's one of those things where I, I think that you're on the right track, isolating things where, look, these mid-range two-point shots, there's really nothing you can do about it if teams keep making them, but it's just not a sustainable offensive strategy. And playing against it is something that I think makes a lot of sense, whether the results are there or not. So, you know, I guess this is an important discussion, important thing for us to look at, you know, not only to share this kind of information with the listeners, but also, you know, to kind of incorporate this more, uh, you know, into what we personally do uh, with these games. So I guess the last question I would ask you is just when you set your totals numbers, is this part of your formula, part of your spreadsheet, or is it just sort of, you know, some more supporting evidence towards a play? Yeah, for now it's supporting evidence. I, you know, I'm trying to, um, maybe uh, shade my thought of whether I should take the over or under based on the two teams and what they're doing with that. I'm not really sure yet how to incorporate that into a formula. You know, I, I have to think about this one in the off season because um, you know, it, it, it's important yet. It's not very easy. Um, there's not access to tons of data on this yet. We're starting to get it, you know, with Haslametrics and uh, Bart Torvik, but this is newer, you know, this is something that's going to be the future. So I need to think about this more in the off season. I do think that, like you said, it, it is kind of the future of this uh, right now. My numbers are not uh, changed based on that, but you know, what I bet has changed based on that, you know, what I actually end up on, like I've said in the past, I don't just bet blindly every single thing that my number says. And I don't say, you know, it, it's three points off. I have to bet it. Um, it's one of those things where I like to look at things and, you know, um, this would be a longer discussion, so I'll keep it short, but I do kind of wonder that at this point for myself, if, you know, I, I try to work so hard and beat, beat this market so badly that I think I might kind of overanalyze this at some point, you know, so at some point, you know, what do you get that, um, 
decreasing rate of return, you know, because you say, you know, you look at something 10 or 12 times and you wonder, you know, I, I've got to find an extra edge. I've got to find an extra edge. And sometimes that makes me second guess things a little bit too much. So um, it's not in my number yet. I do think it's something to incorporate um, over time, but, you know, it's good to have this kind of data and it's good to talk about something that I'm pretty sure more people will be talking about in the future. Well, and, and I don't know if this necessarily applies to this discussion that we're having, but something you mentioned to me before we started recording here that you want to make it a point to talk about is that football is over. You know, now it's it, from a betting standpoint, it's college basketball season. You know, I know a lot of people still bet the NBA, but, you know, that's certainly hit, hit or miss, touch or go, touch and go with who's playing, who's not, you know, all those kinds of things. A lot of, you know, intangible stuff like, uh, you know, the, the schedule analysis and, and things that I even write about, you know, over at ATS.io. But a lot of people now are going to be getting into this college basketball market because, well, they're chasing Super Bowl losses or they're playing with extra money that's in the account or because college basketball is the thing now. And everyone wants to sort of get into that mode before conference championships, before the NCAA tournament begins. So there's going to be a lot of people flocking to this market now. Yeah, there will. And I think there'll be um, some fairly significant line moves here in the next couple weeks. I think that that will become more normal than it has been here lately. The public is going to have more influence on the line, especially on sides and in big name games. Um, they're still going to want to bet those teams that they remember from last year. And we, we've always cautioned people about that, and especially the mid-major teams that were good a couple years ago. I mean, those teams aren't necessarily that good now because if they lost a key guy like a Ja Morant, for example, Murray State's not the same team, you know, not even close to the same team. And you could make that same argument for a team like Kentucky, a team like that this year. I mean, I assume most people know Kentucky is not good in basketball this year because they are Kentucky. But in the mid-major world, um, a lot of people wouldn't know that that same team isn't great like they were a couple years ago. So uh, let's see if there's a little bit of extra value going against those name teams from the past that um, aren't so good anymore. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think about a team like Northern Kentucky from the horizon, for example. You know, I mean, that's a team that – you know, they were very good before they got to the horizon, pretty good early on in the horizon. And then this year, they're just, they're not very good at all. So yeah, there are a lot of teams like that. You certainly don't want to take anything for granted here uh, in these conferences. You know, if it's something that you're diving into for the first time now, because football's over, or you know, you're somebody who follows the sport and maybe you kind of fall into that trap too of like, well, that team's usually good. You know, and then they wind up disappointing you. You really don't want to lose money that way. Make sure that you're looking independently, you know, at this season for those teams to kind of see where they are at this point in time. So with that, let's get into a follow and fade segment here. And I'll go ahead and start and because well, you know what? You've got two fade teams here. So I'll let you go ahead and start. Speaking of the Horizon League, a fade team that, you know, I talked about a few weeks ago, thinking it was a good opportunity to fade against Wright State. They won the first game, got trucked in the second game. But that's the Cleveland State Vikings. Yeah, Cleveland State is much improved. We know that. They really good coaching job there. Um, there's regression signs all over the place on this team. They have clearly they've won all kinds of close games. They've won games that have been you know, massive comebacks late in the game. They can't keep doing this every single game. They're 13, 5, and 1 ATS this year. They're number one in luck factor at Ken Palm. Um this is a Cleveland State team that I can't lay a bunch of points with. I think they're going to play close games. If you look at their schedule coming up, they're not playing great teams. So you're going to be laying points with Cleveland State. 
I would go against Cleveland State uh, laying points. I think that this is a team that is not good on offense. Um, they're pulling out close win after close win. Their three-point defense cannot keep being this good. Um, teams are, are going to shoot better than this, and their offense is not good. So not a team I can lay points with. I think this has gotten a little bit out of hand. And, and look, here's the thing. You know, when we talk about follow fades, some of these are long-term, some of these are short-term. Look, maybe they finished the regular season on a high note, but I'd probably wind up with a big bet against them if they met Wright State in the Horizon League championship game, you know, or something like that where, yeah, it's only one data point. Maybe it works out and maybe it doesn't. But like you said, I mean, this is a team that is doing something that, you know, wasn't really expected of them. So you do wonder how long that they're able to actually continue that. My fade team here, and I realize that ironically, I'm wearing a South Carolina Gamecocks hat, but I think South Carolina is a bit of a fade team here. Over 9% of their field goal attempts are dunks, but over 10% against them our dunks here on the season. They're a small team, but they've got a high block percentage. I just kind of wonder here about, you know, their ability to continue having success at the rim, the way that they have here so far this season, they lead the sec in offensive rebounding percentage, but they have two massive outliers. They had 17 offensive rebounds against Texas A&M 23 against Georgia on January 27th. They're not actually that good in that department. And I think it may lead to some false value, you know, in the minds of some people on this team. So I think South Carolina is a pretty fade worthy team there in the SEC. South Carolina is a tough team for me to get a read on. You know, they're, they're a team that I've mentioned before. Um, when I go down through, there's some games that I just mark out and say, I don't want to bet those games. South Carolina games are very frequently one of those games. They've had some very strange results. That game against Florida, was a really strange one. It would Florida score one point in the last six minutes or something like that. Um, South Carolina, I would agree. I would go against them quicker than I would um, bet on them, but um, especially even from a total standpoint, they're very inconsistent because they play fast, but they're really not very efficient on offense. They foul a lot on defense, a tough team, but I, I tend to agree that I would go against them before I'd bet on them. And, and part of it, too, is, you know, you look at their schedule. They've got some very good teams coming up. I think they play Alabama this week. Uh, you know, we'll see if, if the Tennessee game gets played. But, you know, they're supposed to play Tennessee, I think, next week. So they're also stepping up in class a little bit here, too. So that's something that, you know, kind of leads me towards fading the Gamecocks to some degree. Who's the other fade team for you? So sometimes my uh, follow fades are stronger than others. And this is one of my favorites that I've talked about. Clemson. Uh, if you look back at Clemson in the last few years, you look at their profile, you go through on Bart Torvik's site, you go through on Haslametrics, uh, Ken Palm, wherever you're looking at them, almost every single year looks the same. They start out playing well. They get worse as the season goes. They still pull off some nice wins at home, but they're not good on the road. This is a bad team on the road. They're about to go on a three-game road trip next week. They've been run out of the gym already sometimes on the road by Georgia Tech, Duke, not good teams this year. Um, I really think that their free throw defense will regress they're, and they're not going to keep giving up what they have been from the free throw line. Their two point defense will worsen quite a bit. Uh, they don't really have any good sh shot blockers this year. They're a decent defensive team, but um, not as good as it looks like right now. Brownells teams always start really strong, then fade down the stretch. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, they're, you know, in the bracketology at, you know, number seven or something like that. By the end of the year, they're, on the bubble or off the bubble, you know, at the, from the bottom. I think Clemson's a really good fade down the stretch, especially in those road games. Let me ask you this. You know, we, we think about obviously Tom Izzo is kind of the poster child for this, where 
they're usually good, you know, up until kind of mid-February, and then all of a sudden everything comes together, and they make this big March push, and then, of course, they look really good in the tournament. Do you feel like because this year is different, maybe we don't want to subscribe to, you know, some of those coaching narratives as much as we would in past years? Not not saying like this is going against your Clemson thought, because I agree. I mean, this is something that they do year in and year out, so it's hard to assume it'll be any different this year. But, you know, do you feel like those narratives, like about teams that get better, I guess, more importantly than get worse, you feel like maybe those just aren't really worth watching this season? I think those they're still worth watching. Um, I just don't know if it should be quite as important to us as it has been in past years. Uh, you know, that's a hard question, to be, to be fair. You know, I, I don't know. Um, this year is kind of, uh, such a big unknown. We talked about it in college football. You, you hate to know, like, it's hard to know exactly what to take from this year to go forward to next year. It's going to be the same thing. in uh, you know, baseball coming up from last year and then now college basketball this year to next, it's going to be hard to know what to take from it, but I do think it still matters. I don't think it will be as important as some other years. And there are some coaches that stand out. I think Brownell is one of the best examples of teams that seem to start the year well and then get worse as the year goes. I don't have anything against them. It's just, I mean, that's their profile. That's what they've done every year. Izzo maybe is not quite the coach he used to be. I think maybe um, that narrative might be a bit too strong at this point. You know, when we started talking uh, college basketball years ago, when we were doing Bang the Book and, you know, it was uh, five or six years ago, I think Izzo was probably a better coach than he is right now. And I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but I, I think Izzo is still a good coach, but not one of the very best coaches. And, um, you know, a guy like Chris Beard, his teams usually play well at the end of the season. Um, I still think they will. I just don't know if I would bet on it solely because of that. No, I think that's a fair point. I think it's a, an excellent point to make there. I'll throw out my follow team here. And uh, I mean, look, this isn't earth shattering news. In fact, we kind of mentioned them already when we were talking about COVID pauses. Now is probably the time to play St. Louis. You know, they had the back-to-back losses coming right out of the COVID pause. Now they've been able to practice. They got a win under their belts here this past weekend. They've got Rhode Island, Fordham, and LaSalle coming up. So pretty substantial favorite in two of those three games. But look, I mean, the loss to Dayton, they were outscored 36-9 to on three-pointers in that game. The loss to LaSalle that they'll have a chance at revenge here coming up, they were 17-28 of at the rim. You know, I mean, this is not a team that's going to do that regularly. So it's not earth-shattering analysis. It's, it's you know, backing a good team that was dealt a tough situation, but – Right now is probably the chance to bet on St. Louis because, you know, we talked about it already. Now teams start kind of looking ahead to the NCAA tournament, looking ahead to March Madness, kind of where they may fall from a seeding standpoint. St. Louis has got to make up some ground for those two losses. And, and I think they I think they put some beatdowns on some teams here coming up. I agree with this one as well. Uh, I'm trying to find one of these that you're talking about that I disagree with. Cause like I said, last week, it kind of looks good. If we um, sounds good, if we disagree, I don't want to agree with you all the time, but. I like this, you know, St. Louis is a team that um, most people thought would win this league. You know, this is a pretty wide open league compared to some, but they have a really high upside. They played really poorly. So you're going to get a discount on them right now. Uh, I would want to back them as well. All right. So who's the follow team that you're looking at? So for me, the follow team, a little bit under the radar here, Florida Atlantic. Um, We've talked about in the past that I think that rebounding is really important when it comes to um, against the spread. You know, you can look back um, in bet labs at rebounding margin and ATS cover rate. It's it's a 
pretty good correlation. Uh, rebounding for a team like Florida Atlantic, they're number one in the Conference USA and rebounding margin. This team has some really favorable matchups coming up. To me, they've been an inconsistent team, no, no doubt. But they're a team that I think has been unlucky so far this year, and you're going to be getting some pretty decent prices on them. I like Florida Atlantic here as a follow team going forward here the rest of the season. I like this one quite a bit too. And I think it's a really important point to make, you know, being number one in rebounding margin in conference play, because now, even though it's a weird effed up kind of year, we have a pretty good sample size in a lot of these conferences of conference games where you know, the non-conference was, was very strange to say the least, you know, lots of lower division games or just kind of playing whoever you could possibly play. You know, we kind of missed out on some of the non-conference here this season, I think it's really important whether you use Ken Palm or Haslam metrics or Torvik or whatever else to sort of make your data set show those conference games. Because I think at this point in time, what happened in November and early December, I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but you know, in terms of current form for these teams, I think you really want to look at the conference numbers. So that's something that I've actually kind of fallen into a trap with a little bit, uh, especially this past week here with some pretty bad calls in my spotlight game preview articles over at bangthebook.com where, you know, the full season says one thing, the conference play season says another, and I don't weigh conference play as much as I should in those games and, and wind up picking losing bets. So that's a good thing at this time of the year, I think is to really focus in on what these teams have done in league play. Yeah, I think so too, because it's more similar competition. You know, some of these teams are playing teams that are way worse than them or way better than them in the non-conference. And and here in conference, um, they're at least uh, somewhat similar in, in their terms of uh, talent. All right, so we take a look at some games here for this week. That's how we'll finish up this edition of ATS Radio. And a Tuesday night game that I wanted to talk about here between Akron and Ohio. And last week, I thought you know, when I talked on the show about Kent State, I thought Kent State was going to get revenge against Akron. I thought Kent State was, you know, a very solid team there in the MAC. But Akron takes care of business. They wind up sweeping their arch rivals, the Golden Flashes. Now they go on the road to Athens to take on the Bobcats. And in the first game, Akron won by 20. They had 1.375 points per possession in that first meeting, 35 of 55 from the floor. Akron scored 90 points in that game and Ohio only had six turnovers. So Akron just deadly efficient offensively kind of wonder what happens here in the rematch. Yeah. Uh, what does Bart Torvik have for this line? Oh boy. Uh, uh, while I'm talking here, um, I, th- I think Ohio is a, is probably the team to look at betting in this game because um, that first game looks like a, a fluke to me. You know, that was crazy that that result could be that way based on uh, you know, the types of shots that they were taking. Akron is not that good to be having that kind of result. Uh, I don't see that thing happening again. Um, is I don't, I don't even see – it doesn't even have that game listed because I was just going to say, are we talking about a game that just got canceled? No, or... it's, it's listed it's... on ESPN okay. schedule. It's a six o'clock tip off on Tuesday night. Okay. That's one of the issues with Torvik. And we, we've kind of run into this a few times here where the schedules haven't been updated on the team pages and it's been remarkably frustrating. And, and, you know, I've obviously like the guy works really hard and it's a free site to access. So I'm not going to be a dickhead about it, but you know, it has been tough, especially, you know, trying not to look at too much while we're doing the show here. Usually I just kind of have the Torvik team pages up and, and cycle through those, but it's listed on ESPN schedule, just not on Torvik. 
Okay, yeah. I mean, I see several places don't have it, so I'm I'm slightly worried that we could be talking about a game that's not being played. But, um, I, you know, who knows in this year, right? I mean, oh, if if, yeah, if cool. we put this out and have some strong thoughts, and then it just gets canceled right away, it's kind of discouraging. Um, I like Ohio in this game if they play this game, and um, Ohio is a team that is playing much better of late. Uh, they were without their best player for quite a while. He's now back, and Ohio's really efficient on offense. Um, as long as this game is played, I lean strongly toward Ohio. <laughs> what a pain in the ass this all is, isn't it? I just, it really is. It's uh, hard. It's frustrating. I don't see this game listed on Google either. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this one. So if, so, if so you're listening. E- <laughs> so ESPN is wrong, but no? Oh, yeah, it is postponed. Okay. Well, good thing we talked about that then. Let's <laughs> get Okay, here it is. Yep, tomorrow's game postponed due to contact tracing. It was posted an hour ago on uh, Athens site uh, from OU. So, uh, anyways, interesting. Sometime Ohio probably. So, so must so it was Ohio's contact tracing then? Um, that's where the article is. Let me let me look as we're talking about something oh, else. What a pain <laughs> in the ass. I, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I see it now on the Akron Zips basketball website that it's postponed. So Akron plays Friday at Miami, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? It, it, it's just – it's frustrating. And in yeah. any event, using this game, since we talked about it already anyway, this is what we talk about, you know, in terms of, okay, looking back at the first meeting to find out what happened. Again, Akron, 1.375 points per possession. They only missed 20 of the 55 shots they took. Ohio took good care of the basketball. They just didn't stop Akron from scoring points. So when we do get these, you know, scheduled rematches, look for those outliers in the first game, because maybe they do lead you down the right path for the second. Absolutely. Um, I I still think there's a good point to be had, even though that specific game. (laughs) I had to save it somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Nice save there. Nice save. True professional, definitely. We've got – I have to be honest, and I know that – I mean, sorry, Adam. I know the Zips uh, is your team kind of, but uh, I think Akron might be a good fade in general as well. They look to me like a team that has some regression signs in general, so I would I would look to fade Akron. I think that's fair. I think it's definitely fair to take a look at fading Akron here as we go forward. All right, well, let's – maybe we can find a game that's actually being played. <laughs> I, I know I wanted to talk about Florida and Tennessee for Wednesday, but pff, that one's gone too. <laughs> So, you know, things, uh, things going real well here on the show. When is that UConn Providence game? Is is that one actually going to be played that you're looking at? It looks like they're playing this game on Wednesday night. Don't hold us to this one because who knows, (laughs) but I mean, um, a thing I wanted to say about this one is, um, Ed Cooley, his teams tend to get better later in the year. If you look at his ATS win percentage at the beginning of the season, it's not any good. If you look at his ATS win percentage at the end of the year, it's really good. And we've seen this happen many times in the Big East. Um, Providence makes a run when they're not really as good of a team as everybody else. So is that going to happen again? I don't know. Providence is playing really poorly here of late. Um, that, that lost to Georgetown. They lost by 17 at home to Seton Hall. And when you're looking at games that really stand out as you know outliers, Seton Hall and Providence, uh, Providence was ahead 25-22 at halftime, then lost 60-43. to 18 points in the second half of that game. Um, Seton Hall was four for 24 from three-point range, and they won by 17 points. So Providence has really been bad here of late, um, turning the ball over a lot. David Duke is a good scorer, but he's been turning it over way too often for them. Um, I think UConn's a really good defense. Um, UConn defensively, 
a lot of length in the inside. Uh, this is a team that I think is good to bet as an underdog. I don't think they'll be an underdog here at Providence anymore. They they would have been a few weeks ago. Um, Ken Palm has this one, Providence by two. I mean, UConn by two. Um, probably minus one and a half or two would probably be what this line would come out at. And I think I would lean toward UConn if I had to take a side, but I like the under better. Um, Providence has really been struggling offensively. Like I said, a lot of turnovers, um, not a very good shooting team in general. And Providence, uh, not really a team that can take advantage of the fact that UConn does um, tend to foul quite a bit. Providence, not great at getting to the line. Also, you know, uh, this is a team that I wouldn't count on making a lot of threes uh, and not not having to get inside because UConn, uh, it's tough to score in the paint against this team. So I think this could be a low scoring game. I think I like the under in this one. I think it's a good look. That one definitely makes a lot of sense there. And uh, I think last Monday on the show, I talked about Seton Hall as a, as a follow team, as a team to buy. True. So a couple of uh, road wins and covers there against Providence and UConn. They don't play again until next Sunday, uh, looks like, against Marquette. Although, I don't know, that's from Torvik. So who knows if it's updated. Uh, real quickly on Wednesday here, I guess Valpo is supposed to play again. You know, off of beating Drake here over the weekend, they take on Bradley, allegedly. Uh, are you looking to fade Valpo coming off that win? Um, yeah, I would tend to look to go against them there. I mean, you would think they also, I mean, that first game they played against them, they almost won uh, against Drake and then they come back and beat them. That was a good showing from them. And I think a lot of people are going to remember that one, especially as we get into the fact that more people are paying attention to college basketball. Um, you know, this is still a Valpo team that has a lot of weaknesses, a team that's really not very good. They're not efficient on offense. Um, Bradley, I would want to check their injury situation. I, I think we talked about this one last week or the week before. Um, Boya, their shot blocker, seven foot one shot blocker, still been out the last few games. Um, looks like Jay Sean Henry did come back in and has played, you know, just a little bit less minutes than he had been playing. But uh, Bradley would be my lean in this game. Uh, it's still a road game. Bradley hasn't really been that good. Um, I don't know that I love this one. That's fair. I, I was going to try to think of a way to work in a Drake reference from his state Farm <laughs> yeah. commercial last night, but uh, I don't know. We're, we're already struggling enough here uh, through this game segment without bad jokes from me, a game on Thursday night that I want to take a look at here. And, and this is one where these are, you know, two of the best teams in the big South pretty much year in and year out. Winthrop and Radford and we've got a meeting here between these two teams and for those that haven't really been paying attention Winthrop has been awesome this season really overall but especially in conference play they're coming off their first loss much like Drake with a loss to UNC Asheville over the weekend and that was a really interesting one because Winthrop actually led by seven with 341 left to go they scored one point the rest of the way so They've had a lot of time to sit and fester about that one because they haven't played since January 29th. What do you think about them here Thursday night against Radford? So uh, Winthrop is the best team in this league by a wide margin, regardless of the fact that they just lost that game. So I would tend to like Winthrop here. I don't like the fact that they've had a longer break than the other team. Um, I don't think they've had any COVID issues that I would know of. If, if they had a COVID game canceled, I believe it was because of the other team. Uh, Winthrop maybe a good second half bet in a game like this, because maybe they don't look very good at the beginning of the game, but they are better than Radford. Radford's efficient on offense. I will say this is also one of those pace wars that I love. Uh, Winthrop 
You're really fast paced team. Yeah. Thanks for the, the segue right into a pace war. Um, I guess we had to recover right from the game that was canceled and then, you know, wait. but I think, I think this is uh, I think this might be the first time that while we were discussing it, we knew that a game was canceled because sometimes that happens, you know, afterwards, but um, Winthrop to me is a team that I want to bet on. So I either bet on them in this full game or I bet on them in the second half or live. I don't know how many live lines there are going to be for Winthrop and Radford to be fair. So um, Winthrop here is my lean in this one. I think Winthrop is going to be the best team in this league by a wide margin. They'll be a huge favorite in the conference tournament and for a good reason. How about a couple of big sky games here? Again, assuming they're being played, of course. Uh, We'll start with the one that you've got listed here, Eastern Washington and Montana State. This one's supposed to be Thursday night, 8.05 Eastern tip-off up in Bozeman, Montana. What's the story with this game? What are you looking at? So I really wanted to talk about this game because these two teams are at the top of the standings here. So um, Eastern Washington, I think, has the highest upside of any team in this league. Um, They're a team that's really good offensively. Tanner Grove's a great player for Eastern Washington, probably the best player in the big sky. Uh, Montana State has been a nice surprise. They're six and two in the conference, just half a game there behind Eastern Washington. But if you look at Montana State's schedule the rest of the way, they play a really bad, um, a very weak schedule the rest of the way. They really do have a chance if they could split these games here with Eastern Washington. Um, I think this is a really interesting game. I don't know that I'm going to bet this game. I wanted to talk about it because, number one, I love talking about the big sky, and I like that we have two games here from the big sky. But I want to see if anything weird happens in that first game on Thursday, and then they play on Saturday again. Um, If Montana State would happen to pull an upset in that first game, I would want to bet Eastern Washington in the second game. If somebody blows away the other team in the first game and they get too much credit for that, and I take the other side in that one. But I think that um, Montana State does it defensively. Eastern Washington more of an offense team. Again, a bit of a pace war here. Eastern Washington, the fast-paced team. Montana, the slower team. Montana State, the slower team. So uh, interesting game of two teams that have a chance to win this conference. Something else I think is kind of interesting too, you know, Eastern Washington, they've, they've been good sporadically, you know, over the last few years, they've had some very good teams. They've had some very good offensive teams. You know, they've kind of given themselves a chance in the big sky. Montana state usually isn't in that kind of role. You can correct me if I'm wrong with that, but usually it's Montana and Weber state. And, you know, like Northern Colorado was good last year. We'll talk about them here in a minute, but what about that? What about these teams that are you know like in the hunt late in the year? that aren't really used to being in that sort of role. Yeah, I think teams that are in that role laying points late in the year, I probably want to go against. You know, you take the underdog against them. So uh, we're projecting way out in the future, and obviously that's really dangerous here. But if Montana State is in that kind of role and we get into early March and they're playing a team like Sacramento State and they're laying five or six points, I'd want to go against them because I think that's quite a bit of pressure for a team that's not used to being in that spot. They probably don't feel that yet because they have a lot of games left. I mean, they know that this is a great chance for them, but later in the season, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's been Weber. It's been Montana. Eastern Washington's been pretty good. Northern Colorado has been good. So um, they've certainly not been used to this role. Speaking of Sacramento state and Northern Colorado, and we'll go ahead and put an asterisk on this game because Northern Colorado's head coach tested positive for COVID. So He's isolating from the team. There's a decent chance this game winds up not being played on Thursday. But I did want to talk about this one in Greeley between Sacramento State and Northern Colorado for a few different reasons. The first is 
Northern Colorado just played Northern Arizona. They were eight for 12 from two and 10 for 31 from three. They took 12 two-point shots, 31 three-point shots. They didn't lose that game by four. But what's really interesting about this one, I think, is how these two teams match up. Northern Colorado has the lowest three-point rate against in the country at 22.2%. So they basically sell out to guard the perimeter. Sacramento State, 56th in three-point rate against at 33.1%. The difference is Northern Colorado, as I just talked about, likes to shoot a lot of threes. Sacramento State doesn't. So this doesn't really change anything for Sacramento State because they don't like shooting threes anyway, but it could change something for Northern Colorado. Yeah, that was a strange result for Northern Colorado, 68-64 loss to Northern Arizona. Um, That was another game that, I mean, played at elevation, but they're used to that. Sacramento State not used to playing at elevation. So if they do do this back-to-back, it looks like this is a home and road uh, back-to-back. So uh, that could be an interesting one for the second game. I don't know that I like anything as far as the betting angle, but I love that you brought this one up with the the two-pointers versus three-pointers. Northern Colorado, drastic splits. I mean, you don't see that. Um, And so that means that what the other defense does and what the other offense does as far as what kind of shots they take matter a lot. So this could kind of tie back to what we talked about earlier, right? You know, the are they taking a lot of threes? Are they right at the rim? Are they taking mid-range shots? Because it's pretty clear that Northern Colorado is – is doing this intentionally. You know, this is not by accident this late in the season. So uh, I think it's a good point. As far as this game, um, you know, who knows if it gets played, like you said. So I don't want to give too strong of thoughts anyways, but my guess is I would pass on this game. Maybe an under? Maybe? But maybe what, like, like with Northern Colorado, I mean, they're basically forcing teams to do anything but shoot a three. I mean, that has to be reflected in their totals, right? Yeah, and, and they play pretty slow. Sacramento State plays very slow. So I would tend to think an under, but it's a little bit dangerous because if they happen to get hot, you know, I mean, obviously the, the under is going to lose uh, because they're taking so many shots from three-point range. But um, and this no, one, and no idea how it plays out either, but with your head coach not there. Right. Like, yeah. you know, do, do you do what your head coach has been telling you to do? Do you kind of, you know, do the inmates run the asylum a little bit, so to speak? <laughs> You know, then you have that whole uncertainty thrown into the mix, too. This college basketball season's a mess. It's just such a mess. It is a mess. And if if this one gets canceled, this will be what? Like, uh, because we want to talk about Tennessee. So this would be three games that gets canceled that we were going to talk about. So this would be a record. Um, Hopefully not all these games get canceled, but uh, hopefully we can give some thoughts to help everybody make some money. So. All right, well, let's see if this game gets played here. It looks like this one Friday night between um, between Fort Wayne and Youngstown State. Yeah, this is Friday night, and this Maybe. is one of those. Yeah, this is a we'll, – we'll just put an asterisk, <laughs> asterisk on every game just to cover. Um, I think this is a good spot to take Youngstown State here. I don't remember how many weeks ago it was, maybe three weeks ago or so, that I said um, Darius Quisenberry is Young, Youngstown State's best player. And Quisenberry has been out for a long time. He came back against Robert Morris. They win two games on the road in overtime, both games in overtime. Um, Now they play Rochester here tonight on Monday. That should be a a really exciting game. I think it's going on right now. I can't. Why are we missing it? I don't know why we're doing this. We should have been watching that game, certainly, but a missed missed opportunity. It's it's twenty nine twenty seven. 
three and a half oh, minutes geez. into the second half. Okay, so uh, they're looking past Rochester here in this one. <laughs> but uh, um, I think this is a good spot to bet Youngstown State. Youngstown State has a high upside. They're a team that you could argue would be maybe the second or third best team in this conference when they're at full strength. Um, Wright State, clearly the best team here. Fort Wayne, um, we talked about them as a regression team there a few weeks ago. Sadly, I took them against Milwaukee on Saturday, January 16th, and then stopped fading them. And I mean, you see how they've lost six games in a row. And I don't, I don't know if they've even covered a spread since then. So, I mean, maybe you would say that it, it's not, you're not getting great value here, but I think Youngstown State's a buy team at this point. I think Darius Quisenberry being their best player and people are too, too low on Youngstown State. I kind of hope they lose this game against Rochester, right? I mean, maybe they'll lose this game and we should live just talk about Rochester and Youngstown State. What do you think? Yeah, why not? Right? We're everything everything else is going according to plan here on today's show. So so why the hell not? By the way, they're the Rochester College Warriors, for what it's worth. Yeah. All right. Well, we covered a lot of ground. Hopefully it's all relevant by the end of the week. But professional better handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. A lot going on over at the website right now, man. A lot going on in college basketball, a lot going on at the website. You can go over to huntersportspicks.com, check out my premium plays. Um, as I said, I've been running really bad. Uh, hopefully that changes. You know, we said a week or two ago, I've, I felt like I was a regression candidate. That that hasn't hit yet, but sometimes it can take a while. Hopefully that's coming soon. Um, you can check out the free plays at the, the website. You can sign up from the top of the website for the newsletter and also Follow me at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter. I try to provide some uh, free plays and some insight that can help you win there from Twitter as well. I mean, based on what I've seen, all you got to do is release like a 1200 star game of the millennium. That's it. You know, a uh, big South college basketball bonanza bonus beater, something or other, and it'll get you out of your slump right away. That's right. I mean, I think I think most Twitter handicappers are probably hitting at least seventy five percent this year. Oh, everybody had the Bucks <laughs> last night, and and everybody had all the unders on on all the Chiefs players except for Kelsey. They played the over on Kelsey with everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. every, nobody out there loses. <laughs> well, that's why that's why I like this show though is that we're able to to be honest and say what the truth is about sports betting and. And, uh, you know, it's good for people to hear how it actually is instead of hearing, you know, I hit 60, 70 percent. And then when they get into it and they lose as much as they do, they get really discouraged because, I mean, that, that's the way it goes in this is there are winning streaks, there are losing streaks. How do you do in the long run? Well, if nothing else, we're not going to lose Akron at Ohio and we're not going to lose Florida at Tennessee this week. <laughs> it's true. So, so at least there's that. <laughs> what a shit show. Kyle Hunter, professional better at handicapper over at huntersportspicks.com. Always a lot of fun, man. We got to have some laughs today and, and give out some good information as well. So thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, man. It was fun. There you go. There's Kyle Hunter. Once again, at Kyle Hunter picks on Twitter, huntersportspicks.com is the website coming up on Tuesday. We'll recap the Super Bowl, talk some NHL, talk some golf. With Brian Blessing, we may even talk to Daytona 500 on tomorrow's show uh, with that jack of all trades at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Should be a lot of fun there with him. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.